Welcome to the Adoptive Dad Playbook. Sit back, relax, and grab a beverage with your host, David Bischlein. Welcome to the Adoptive Dad Playbook. My name is David Bischlein, and if you are returning, I'm glad to have you guys come back. If you're new, welcome. We have a really exciting guest today, but before we get into that, got to share, I had a real dad couple weeks my wife, uh, a couple weeks ago, said, let's paint the bathroom. And if you're a dad or a husband, you probably know where that led to. The painting led to a new floor. The new floor led to a new vanity, the painting of the vanity. So for the past couple weeks, I've been working on my bathroom. And I've learned that I am not fast nor good at doing any of those things. So I've had a lot of help and Everyone that has helped me, I really appreciate it. But let's get into our episode today. I hope you guys are staying safe and warm. As we started last week, we're going to start highlighting a organization that does either foster care or adoptive care, a charity, an organization. And since we have a really special St. Louis guest this week, I thought we'd highlight a really special and important St. Louis uh, foster and adoption care organization, and that is the Foster and Adoptive Care Coalition. They do incredible work. Their mission is for every child a place to call home. They are huge in the St. Louis area. I know at least on this side of the river. Basically what they do is they are recruit families for foster and adoptive care. And kind of things, if you're interested in getting involved with them, they have all sorts of opportunities to do things. They have birthday buddies, clothing drives, foster friends. You could be a CASA a court-appointed special advocate. takes some training, but it's really rewarding. You can be on their junior board. They have a handbag day event. They have refresh volunteers. They have a store where they sell things. They do tutoring, school supplies. At Christmas time, they do little wishes, which foster children ask for a present, and people grant those wishes. This year, they did it in record time. If you're interested in becoming a foster parent or an adoptive parent, contact them. Their website is foster-adopt.org. They have all sorts of information and resources. And if you're just looking to donate to a really great organization, look to them. They do incredible work in the St. Louis area, and I cannot recommend them more highly. But getting to our episode today, we have a really, really incredible guest. It is a little bit longer than uh, some of our usual guests, but this guy just does an incredible job, and he really just goes deep into his story. If you, you know, don't be afraid to stop and pick it up the next day, but it is worth a good listen. Also, there's a couple small internet issues or hiccups. If you like what you hear, man, I would really appreciate a like or a subscribe. Leave a five-star rating. Leave a review. That does help us get the uh, word out on the show. Uh, If you have any questions or we have any show ideas or guest ideas or topics, you can email me at adoptivedadplaybook at gmail. You can also follow me on all of our socials. You can look at those in the show notes. But without further ado, we're going to get into our episode today. Guys, when I say this is a special guest, this is a special guest. He is a member of Goldfinger, Greek Fire, and if you live in the St. Louis area, he is Moon from the Riz Morning Show. Guys, this is incredible. Just the amount of detail and just the way that he shares his life, knows holds bar with us is pretty incredible. So I hope you guys give it a full listen. And if you like what you hear, like and subscribe. Uh, today's guest, 
We have a very special guest on the podcast, on the playbook today. He is a multi-platinum recording artist, a member of the bands Goldfinger and Greek Fire, a member of The Riz Show, which is the number one radio show in the area and my favorite radio show. He has sung with Garth Brooks. He is a trivia master, continues to beat Riz on The Riz Show. <laughs> and most importantly, he is adopted and he is a dad. Please welcome Moon Valjean to the playbook. Welcome, Moon. This is a, a huge honor uh, for me as a fan, uh, but also that I told you earlier that my major street cred because we love Big Hero Six in the house. That is awesome. Thank you. I'm 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 glad to be here. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast. This is a uh, it's it's a cool thing. It's a cool thing that that somebody like you is out there having these discussions. So um, so people can find some other thoughts because it's it's actually amazing that you have uh the word playbook in your podcast title because that's the one thing that i always say when people ask me about well, what should they do i'm like dude there's no playbook there there is no playbook you kind of make it and discover it in your own speed and and comfortability and uh uh and it's it's amazing because there's so many different angles that people don't realize go into the entire adoption process Oh, it, it, and I'm learning. We, we have three biological sons and this, we're adopting a little girl from South Korea. So, uh, amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. It's a process. Uh, on my first episode, I talk about, we had a little referral, we had a little girl and, uh, and we, her mom, which is awesome, decided to come back and adopt, uh, to take her back, uh, which is great, but that was the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with. Um, uh, or at least one of the hardest things. And that's so rare in international adoption. So, um, wow. Did that happen to you? Yes, it happened to us. We had a little girl. Wow. She, uh, long story short, mom decided to come back and uh, to raise her, which is awesome. We want that. We want an adoption. We want the parents to be able to raise them if they can. Uh, but it was hard. Like I bought in, I sold in. I love that little girl. And uh, even now it kind of chokes me up just to think about um, how hard it was um, to, to, to go through that. So. Man, I cannot imagine that. I cannot. Well, and I'll be honest, Sir Moon, can I call you that? Uh, Yeah, whatever you like. (laughs) Sir Moon, that in domestic adoption, my last guest I had on, he talked about how that happened domestically. That's very common or very more common. Let me put it that way. So we were not prepared for it. I think that's partly our fault. So but uh, it, it is, and there's a lot of podcasts for, for, that are run by women, for moms. There's like the Adoptive Mom podcast, because I was going to name it the Adoptive Dad podcast, but <laughs> I was like, well, I don't want this lady to get mad. She's kind of a big timer in the podcast mom world, so I didn't want right. to. But uh, yeah, all right, we're going to hop in here. I got to ask you as a fan, what are the three most incredible things you've been able to do? This is kind of the, the cheesy question that you've done in uh, your career. Oh, this. The three, what what was the word? Most so incredible, like the three things, if you're incredible. besides the birth of your children, kind of like career related, you've, you've done so many awesome things. Yeah. Um, this, uh, is, this may not go over well <laughs> with, uh, with fans of a particular city or something like that. But, um, in all honesty, probably the most amazing thing that has come to my life in a personal way and in a growth way is just the ability to travel and see so many different cultures, see so many different places, see so many different like functioning societies, whether it be at a family level uh, or a neighborhood level or a country level that run so very differently than I was told um, was the best way. You know, we have this like real tendency to be like, we're the best at this and we're the best at this. And you hear that enough from your surroundings that you kind of buy into it without realizing it. And, um, 
I think the number one most important thing that I've done uh, was learn about the world and how it can function, how you can function, how people can function um, from birth to, uh, to adoption and raising children and uh, to, to death and how the approach can be so very different and so very right for everybody. You know what I mean? In, in so, so many different ways. So honestly, like learning about humanity, um, which in turn, I think helps you learn about yourself. That's been the greatest gift uh, to me, given to me by my career. Um, secondly, uh, just being able, I, I mean, I, obviously, uh, just being able to travel and meet meet new people and see new people and be able to connect on a level instantaneously. So, so if somebody's there to watch my show, we already have so much in common. Obviously, we like the same type of music. Uh, we probably have a lot to talk about if it's if it's about lyrics or experiences or songs or sounds or other bands or whatever it is. Like you're you're around your crew, your tribe. You know what I'm saying at every single show. Being able to do that from St. Louis to Ohio to Tokyo um, is a pretty special, uh, surreal sort of thing that happens. So that would be number two. And I guess number three would just be able to be um, uh, to be able to show that to my children as much as I can. I never hit the level where I could really like take my kids for entire tours. Uh, and I mean, level like financially. Um, but I've been able to take my kids a lot of places I never ever would have been able to take them um, because, you know, my part of the trip was paid for. <laughs> and then I would just do basically do the tour for free by taking my wife and kids or just a couple of the kids or, or whatever. So my, my oldest um, is uh, 22. My second oldest just turned 20 yesterday. And when they were little, like they saw a lot of the U.S., a lot of it. Uh, that they probably didn't even realize was so special. You know, they're traveling on a bus and I'd wake them up and say, hey, there's the mountains, you know, and they were able to see mountains on a tour bus. Um, and I think that'll stick with them, maybe not in their 20s, but in their 30s, they'll realize, holy cow, that's that's pretty freaking rad. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a that's a pretty unique experience. And my younger kids are also taking advantage uh, and they've been uh, a few different places as well. The only drawback to that is they get a little spoiled and they're like, when are you going to take us to London? I'm like, dude, do you know how expensive it is to take this whole crew to London? <laughs> That's, uh, I have to ask you, how many kids do you have? I, I guess, but well, here you talk, you have, on the show, they're always like, you've got a ton of kids. How many do you actually have? I have to ask that question. Um, well, I'll, I'll answer off air just because the joke is so well-crafted. It is. I, I change the number every time because if I give you the real answer, the joke is out the window and it's over. And I still think there's a few miles to go. I, oh, then give me a give me a ballpark, maybe a ballpark figure then. Well, if you want to talk about sports, I can fill an indoor uh, soccer team. How's okay, that? hey, that's indoor soccer is fun. We we go to the ambush sometimes. <laughs> it's cheap and it's fun entertainment. So yeah, and I have my own team. I can I can play goalie if needed, or I can just coach. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's that that is fantastic. When I was a kid, we moved to Denver. Uh, when I was a kid. So we got to drive across Kansas and that was super unexciting. Uh, to, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. From St. Louis to Denver. And uh, so I'm glad that you're, you're, you get that up. That's such a neat dad experience to experience that with them, you know? And so that's yeah. really, let me ask you. All right. So how were how you guys doing during COVID? How has that kind of changed your parenting style? Um, 
It's made me a lot more aware of the minutes that uh, the the children are bummed that they don't have me now. Like I I, I grew up in a house with um, you know a baby boomer father and and my mother was older. She was born during the war, um, and I think it's pretty uh, standard for that for that generation to have seen their parents with a very hands off sort of approach. Um, and you know, there's no right or wrong, but my, my parents were very involved in our lives, but not necessarily very in, involved in our minutes. Um, so, you know, I, I, I was, uh, <laughs> I was going to say the word, I was forced to entertain myself, but I was like outside, you know what I mean? 10 hours a day. If the sun was up, I was outside and we came back. Um, if it got, if it got dark or I got hungry and then I would eat as fast as I could and bolt it out, or I was video gaming in my room, but it was very like, take care of yourself experience. Um, and they were to, they were there to keep us alive and, uh, and sign us up for all the sports that they can. And my parents were in fact, more involved than most parents. Like, I mean, they went to every practice, every game, everything. Uh, we did vacations each summer where, uh, you know, my dad wanted to focus and, and take us to, uh, mostly the West, but we, we did all the national parks, which is probably why I'm super obsessed with that now and showing my kids. Um, but with COVID, a, I realized real quick that I have a completely different parenting style than my parents did and that my kids very much depend on me for entertainment. Now, yeah, they can get sucked into video games pretty easy. But other than that, it's, Dad, will you do this with us? Dad, we got to do this. And then if I don't, they get real like they almost take it personally, especially my son. He, he's the more sensitive of, uh, uh, of the bunch. But you know, they're very, it's not dependent. It's just, that's how, um, that's how their experience has been so far. So when COVID hit, it just got maxed, um, times 10, which honestly for both of us, the, um, my wife and I, and the set of kids, uh, it was a wonderful thing. And I hate to say that because there's so much tragedy around us and we know a lot of people that have been sick, um, but COVID was a, was a very strange, but very obvious blessing to us. Um, not, not that COVID was a blessing. Of course you, you don't, you know. Right. I, I understand what you're saying. We yeah. Get, it, it is. But what you're saying, I won't hit on that because I think a lot of dads struggle. I know I do what you were saying. It's like right on, like my kids depend on me. And, and as a coach, I coach, you know, I've coached baseball and, and football and wrestling. Kids don't go out and throw. Like we used to play in that hot box and we used to just throw and, and play wiffle ball kids just don't do that or throw rocks into the water. And I noticed <laughs> like I coach baseball and, and we get kids out that don't know how to throw a baseball, or how to throw. Yeah. And, and it's crazy. And I think that's like, I feel you because we're the same age. We're exactly the same age. Just cause I listen to you on the radio. I know that you're 39, just like me. And yep. so it, it is, it's crazy. You say that because they are, you just, and if you send your kids out, then maybe the neighbors won't let their kids come out. I've noticed, or, or they can't do this or that. So it's, I, I'm right on par with you. It's been a struggle. Yeah, it's it's been it's been an interesting it's been an interesting time. But the adjustment itself, or being forced to to adjust in those ways, has been really good for us um, for the most part. Because a uh, my income just disappeared. Uh, I mean, eighty five percent of my income, about eighty percent, just like vanished in a in a snap. Um, but I also had a lot more time to try to figure out, A, what am I, what am I going to do to try to like make that up or, or do I need to make that up? Can we just like scale down everything? Um, and immediately it was like, holy cow, we're all benefiting from being, 
with each other a lot more. We're, we're getting closer. We're able to really understand our kids more. We're dealing with some adjustment periods. Uh, I had a kid go into middle school, which is an enormous, enormous change. Uh, you know, middle school was this, my sixth grade year. I've been through some real tragedies, like really, really difficult points in my life, truly. But nothing yet compares to sixth grade. Sixth grade was the worst time of my life. The worst time. I lost all my best friends because they were like into like fashion suddenly. I'm like, what? You never cared what socks I wore before. Like, how did one summer change everybody? And I never got the memo. Um, but I feel you. I feel you. We uh, I, I moved from fifth to sixth grade. So I had to start all over. Oh. And I was a real goofy, annoying kid, which many people would still say I'm annoying now. Uh, so, uh, but I get you. And I remember when all the other kids had starter jackets, I had a Logo 7 or a big logo. Brother, I was with you, man. I, we're the same age that Adidas toggle crap and all that. Like I was a year back. By the time I got any of that stuff, it was from a thrift shop and it was not cool anymore. I was like showing how behind I was by finally popping up with the toggle filled Adidas jackets and my <laughs> Miami Hurricanes starter jacket. And the, the, I remember the Raiders, the Miami Hurricanes, Hurricanes were in the Bulls were the big three. I think if I that's remember. right, dude. I had hurricanes. I had hurricane hats. I had hurricane everything. I know nothing about Miami Hurricanes. I, I was a Colorado Buffaloes fan just because coming from Colorado at the time they were really good. That was so that was good. All right, we're gonna hop into the next part. And these are what I call warm up questions because uh, I try to keep that sports theme. Uh, first off, these are kind of quick hitters. What is your drink of choice? What are you drinking right now? Uh, my drink of choice used to be beer. I'm a huge beer fan, but we have uh, cut alcohol out of our lives since last October. Uh, not for anything dramatic or any of that kind of stuff, just to kind of bear down on some business stuff more. My wife actually was like, you know, I see all these uh, these women that I kind of uh, look up to. And the common theme is that none of them drink alcohol in this point in their life. So she's like, so I think I'm just going to go drive for a bit and see how it happens. So I've so I just was like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll do it in, you know, more of a solidarity thing with her and cut that out. So the only thing that I have now is because uh, I used to be coffee, water and beer. And now I'm coffee, water and we have one kombucha a night, um, which is like our like treat, like our grown up treat, uh, which is like, you know, we had a good, good day, put in a lot of work, put the kids to bed turn on the television and uh, open up one kombucha each uh, each and then go to bed. So I guess it would be the uh, um, the uh, shoot. What's it called? Rose Rose something GT's kombucha. That's my favorite drink right now. And coffee. I'm a coffee obsessor. That, that's is there any kind of coffee you like the most is it like a brand or a- um, no, there's 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 a few. We've actually been getting a couple from overseas. There's this one um, from Uganda that helps uh, like for every bag that you buy, that same amount goes to uh, donating for fresh water. There's like a fresh water campaign uh, in Uganda. So we've been buying from them. It's really good coffee, uh, but it also you know feels good. Um, but uh, yeah, just a nice solid coffee. We have so much, so many good like coffee places around here. There's one in um, San Diego that's run actually by a somewhat friend, a, a guy that I knew from the touring world uh, called James Coffee, and it's phenomenal. It's just really expensive, uh, so the wife doesn't, you know, that one doesn't pass very often. But James Coffee is really good, and a couple of my other uh, touring buddies um, have gone into the coffee business. I just forget the names, Kings Kings Coast or something. Um, 
yeah, I'll try to promote them at, at some point somewhere. But yeah, coffee's great, man. We we so just great. get ours from Costco, uh, the bag. Or since we're in school, since we're back, we're actually physically seeing students again. I have to go back to K cups. So uh, oh, so, but, that's what we got in the Riz Show office right now. All right, next question. What's the most annoying thing that you do that you're, that just drives your wife and kids crazy? There's got to be one thing that you do. Yeah, I uh, I get really excited about things and I forget. I don't have the greatest memory. So like um, like my daughter just got home and I, I forgot what she said. I forgot already. But she was like, she's like, Dad, I did this. And I was like, oh, my gosh, we should, you know, we should do this after that. And she goes, yeah, I know. That's what you said last time. You, We already had this idea. We'll, we would talk about doing that in a week. I was like, oh, yeah. So like my it's it's fun. But man, like that is something that um that I got to work on. And I think that's just because that that's a symptom of my lack of organization. Um, Cause I, you know, I toured for like 10 or 15 years straight. So I'm not, I don't have like, I mean, the first couple of years that I was working, working on, on, on the Riz show and having like set hours, I could never tell you what day it was because for 12 something years, like days didn't matter to me. And I don't mean like they didn't matter to me. Like, I mean, like if I woke up on a tour bus in Cincinnati, I never said, guys, what day is it? Because it didn't matter. I was, you know, I was, I already knew my day and I knew where I was, you know, it was more of where was I rather than when was I? Um, so it took a heck of a lot of adjustment for me uh, to get any sort of like chrono chronology um, set in my brain. So I'm still working on some organization, but my, my family can tell you how horribly forgetful I am with certain oh. things. But the amazing part of that is they tell me constantly, yeah, that's the, like, they'll say, yeah, you already said that. And I'm like, well, what did I say after? And they'll like, they'll say you, we literally have had this exact conversation. You responded in the exact same ways last year when we talked about this. So I'm like, well, you, you'll always know if I'm ever lying. This is how you know that I'm an honest man. Cause I'm saying the same stuff every single time I experience it, but it's lovely for me because I get to experience the joy of it every single time it happens. Hey, at least you're at least my, I'm a social studies teacher. So we used to live in Ozark, Missouri, which is by Springfield. And we drive down to Branson frequently. And I would say, Hey, sweetheart, this, this is a bald knob over here. This is the bald knobbers would be up here. And she would say, yeah, I know you told me that in the last five times we've gone down. I was like, well, now, exactly. you know, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. Anytime we're, uh, we're at a park or we're going somewhere special or something, I'll do all the landmarks and the kids are like, dad, we've done this four times, man. Like we already know every detail about this statue or about this trail, or, you know, so. Then you shouldn't miss I, it on a task question. Then Exactly. I think that's funny, but they, uh, they can get oh, pretty. I feel All right. Last one more question here. Is there a TV show, a book or a podcast that you're really digging right now? Um, uh, the podcast I'm really digging right now is called pivot. It's a uh, financial podcast, a little bit of, uh, some other stuff, but it's, it's pretty quick action. I just love the hosts. It's Kara Swisher and Scott Gallagher. I love them a lot. I think they're, um, uh, highly educated, but I think they're, I think they're good thinkers. I think they're witty people. Uh, and, um, I like that. I like to be challenged, um, but I also love my history and all that. So Dan Cummins with Time Suck, he's uh, he's pretty irreverent and crass, and I also like that. Um, but it's all you know history based and uh, and 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 different things like that. Books, um, I ended up just giving uh, this book away again. It's by um, uh, shoot, it's called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. 
uh, pretty common book. I mean, it's been successful since since he put it out. But it was a guy who uh, who went through concentration camps in World War II. He was a he was studying psychology. He was a doctor. Um, wonderful book. I think a wonderful and 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 easily absorbed book. It's easy to digest that book uh, and get a lot of out of it. So I ended up gifting that gift or gifting that book to a lot of people, and I just did it again last week. So that one's top of mind. Um, TV shows right now we're watching how I met your mother, which is very great not, show. Great it show. really is good, dude. It's really good. Like it's it, because it's clever and witty. It's, it's still dopey with the laugh track and it's very CBS, which is not my speed. It just isn't my thing, but this one kept, I mean, people were shoving it down our throat saying, I'm telling you, you're going to appreciate the writing. And it really is. It's, it's like wholesome enough, goofy enough. Um, the one that we really, really enjoyed before this and before we watched Game of Thrones for the third time was Ted Lasso. Brilliant. Brilliant. Ted you guys, Lasso's you guys great. give great TV recommendations on the show. And so oh, how, I met your, how I Met Your Mother, my wife and I actually caught that on the airplane on our honeymoon. That's how long ago. We've been married uh, almost 16 years. So that show's a lot older than I realized it was. Somebody said, watch the alternate ending. There's an alternate ending to... Uh... I think they're. I think uh, I've, to how I met your mother. Well, no, the thing about that was those kids had to be quiet, you know, for all the years because they knew how it ended. Those kids on the couch. I'm not giving it away, but they know the ending, like because they filmed it at the very beginning. Oh, okay. So I'm not giving it away. You, you can oh. once you see it, you'll okay, get it. I was like, you. I was like, don't. We're only, we're no, only no, season no. three. I mean, the, the, he's on the couch and he talks to the kids. Those kids filmed the ending like in that first season, so they knew it. And they said they had to keep quiet about. Oh, okay. It. Eight years. No, I'm not. No, well, I don't want to get oh, that, man. I don't want that wrath upon me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here, hey, the nice thing is I'll forget it. <laughs> but, but somebody will. And then they'll. I know that I, I hear stories about, you know, someone will find me and send me a hate message. I haven't got any hate messages for my podcast yet. So I'm sure that I guess you're not anything. Until you oh, hate stick around. Me. Stick around, dude. It's coming. I'm sure. I, it is incredible when you talk about people sending you just the things they do. I don't. Why would I, I don't, I, I can't, I got to calm down. It just drives me crazy. <laughs> All right. So here we go. We're going to get into it here now. This is like the game, the main, the main course, if you want to say it. So kind of, why don't you walk us through your adoption, like your, your story, your journey, as in you're being adopted and kind of what that was like. Um, okay. So I was born in 1981. Uh, in 1988, uh, seven years old, we were in Crestwood Plaza, which doesn't exist anymore. And uh, my mother, um, it was me, my mom, and my brother. My brother's uh, two years younger than me, uh, just under two years younger. And we were by the corner cookie shop. I think it was probably a Mrs. Fields or something at the time. And um, my mom saw somebody that she used to work with like years before. And uh, she gets to gabbing like my mother does. And I heard something about a C-section. And, oh, yeah, Clark C-section, blah, blah, blah. And didn't know what that was. And we sat next to the bench. We had our cookies. And I said, hey, mom, did you have a C-section with me? And she says, <laughs> uh, she goes, uh, no, son, um, I didn't have you. And I, I'm sure I said, go on. And she said, uh, you, um, you were uh, another, another lady had you and she couldn't take care of you. Uh, so she uh, gave you to us and we became your parents. And it was something as simple and um, and light as that. And I just remember thinking, oh, and she said something like, um, 
you know, it was a special situation. This doesn't happen with the majority of people. Uh, you're probably the only adopted kiddo in your class. And, you know, because I, I kind of peppered her with a couple surface questions. Um, but I remember leaving the conversation and moving on, uh, feeling pretty much like, oh, well, that's pretty cool. Like I was picked, you know, like uh, there's there's something a little bit different. Cool story. Yeah. Like, you know, it, I felt like there was a little bit extra um, to the origin story as much as a seven year old can really comprehend that. So you you were um, not told prior to the age of seven that you were adopted. No. That, that must have been incredible the way she worded that for you to make you come out like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, my my mom was a health gym and swimming teacher, so I'm not sure, but, but she is well educated, so I'm sure she uh, she worded it in a in a in a you know pretty deliberate manner. But um, I don't know if it was so much the wordsmithiness of it or just the the fact that uh, you know, I felt loved the minute before I found out, and I felt loved in the minute of finding out, so you know, it wasn't that big a deal. I wanted to go home and go outside again. Um, so there was, I don't know, honestly, how I feel about the whole, like keeping it completely open. I'm sure there's a lot of benefits and there could be some drawbacks to that. I'm sure there's benefits to me finding it out in a, in a freaking Crestwood Plaza cookie shop uh, at seven. And there's probably some drawbacks to it. Now, I also had an experience where I had another relative um, not super close, but another relative find out that he was adopted in his, uh, I would say he was probably late 20s, maybe about 30 years old, and he uh, did not handle it well. It, it um, Well, honestly, I haven't seen him since. He left wow. his family. Uh, he left his family the, the week after that. He felt like his, his parents, who were phenomenal people, um, had abandoned him in some way or lied to him, deceived him, something. Uh, and these are two of the greatest people that were in this family. Um, truly the, the, the parents were, and, uh, and he left, he left his wife and, and kids. And, and I'm sure there was plenty else that was going on that I didn't realize it was happening as the teenager that I was. Um, but that's what like made him flip. Uh, so yeah, I don't think it's wise to have somebody go through 30 years and not realize that they're adopted. But, um, for me, it hit at the right time, I guess, uh, but it hit in the right way. The only other experience really from that uh, period, as far as the adoption goes, is I'm sure at some point, I remember where I was, we were in Kansas City uh, visiting family and I asked, uh, hey, like, can I meet my mother or do you, do you know these people? Do I know them? And um, I got basic information. Uh, they told me what they knew. Now, mine was through my adoption was through a religious organization here in St. Louis. Um, and each one of them have their own policies, have their own rules, have their own experiences. And then, of course, you have to work around Missouri court and, and different laws uh, that apply to Missouri adoptions, Illinois adoptions or federal uh, adoptions. So there there's some there's some uh, squeaking in between those posts. Um and my parents did give me the information. They said, okay, um, we don't know anything about her except for she was a teenager. She was 18 uh, and she couldn't take care of you. And they gave you up and you were in foster care for five months. Um, and uh, the, only thing, uh, the, the only other thing they said to me is uh, when you're 21, you can find her if you want. Uh, and, and that was pretty much, I mean, that was, 
that's that was more answers than I expected. Any anytime I kind of periodically asked uh, questions to them. The only other thing that really happened that I have a memory of is in fourth or fifth grade, this gal who had a crush on me, um, obnoxiously. She treated me terribly because she had a crush on me. I guess um, I wasn't responding to her, and I wasn't like, uh, you know, reciprocating whatever these feelings were, and she like. I don't even know how she knew because this is nothing I ever discussed with anybody except for maybe my best friend or something. And uh, she's like, oh, yeah, well, you're like adopted. And all I thought was, yeah, like I had no concept that that could be a weird thing or a bad thing or that there were like jokes about it. You know, you still hear jokes on on like TV shows. I had just never experienced that. So it never had like rendered in my mind that, oh yeah, that's a sick burn. If you're like, oh yeah, well, you're adopted. Your parents don't even love you. Right. Or, or some silly angle like that, that, a, right, that an right. elementary school kid would fire at you. And I remember holding my food tray and this chick hits me with that. And I'm looking over, I remember the gal's name, Mrs. Jenkins. She was the lunch lady. Cause she witnessed it. And I think she, even she was confused cause she wasn't even sure if I was adopted or not, but she saw me kind of freeze. And I remember thinking, yeah, I was like waiting for like part B. I didn't know what she meant. And I remember like cycling through that for the whole day going, wait a second. She meant to hurt me there. And I don't even know why I can't even figure this out, you know, cause to me, it's still a special experience. Like I am special somehow. Um, with with this origin story or whatever um so you know and piece by piece you kind of figure out later like oh okay that is kind of a sick burn if like if somebody has no no idea you know right. how hurtful the, that could be or like my kids my kids will say that to each other something and we finally had to crack down on that and like and so i don't know your brother i know you have a you have a brother did he never say that to you growing up or anything like that my brother is not adopted. He is biologically my my mm -hmm. parents, and he has never said that. I don't think in his entire life. That's never, awesome. That's yeah, never as a sting. I totally get it from like a culture a cultural uh, perspective. That like if you've never touched it, if you've never had it in your family or seen it in any way, it's such a it's such a distant concept. You, you know what I'm saying? Like I I I I mean I. I can wrap my head around it as much as I can, uh, but because it's so central to my identity, um, you know, I can, I can only really get, get out there so much, but I get it. Like it doesn't offend me. It doesn't offend me at all. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, but I totally get that. It's a, it's a sick burn. <laughs> it, it, that's a, that's an incredible just way you handle that. Like, you don't, you, my wife and I have done a lot of research from adoptees and in course we only hear the horror stories. Like I grew up and I hated my parents and, you know, and I didn't know who I was. Now we've done a lot more international, not as much domestic. So maybe that's part of it, but it's just, it's nice to hear that from someone like you that just, you know, it's just, I, I was adopted and, and it's just, it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. like a, it wasn't an earth shattering life changing event. It was, I love the way you called origin. So I'm going to use that too. I'm a, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's it's just a part. It's just a part of me. Uh, if anything, it's a part of me that I very much rejoiced in. Um, if if you if you uh, read, I forget which one. There's a couple Steve Jobs books, but uh, one of the things that he said uh, about adoption and everything is that he felt um, he felt like super special 
you know, his parents or whoever it was like made him feel very special. Now, my parents didn't make me feel special. That wasn't a word that was really used uh, or, or committed uh, in the conversations or in the experience or anything. But what I will say and what I've paralleled uh, in my experience and my feelings and in my heart immediately with reading that from jobs was that what I did feel um, was a responsibility. I felt like a very intense responsibility because all initially, initially I realized that like, uh, 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 let me think abortions are very real and very possible in a thousand different ways and a thousand different places for a thousand different reasons. And I was just so thankful to be alive. And I was so thankful that this gal, whoever she was at 18 had very, had a lot of options, a lot of options and her decisions or, or thoughts or, or whatever, her actions set me on the course where I am. And I'm in a healthy middle-class home in the middle of a good and safe country. Um, and I have opportunity. I'm playing baseball. I'm playing soccer. And I have a couple cool friends. I, I mean, like the whole thing was like, dude, what do I have to complain about? And therefore, the first person in my story that deserves a thank you is whoever uh, set me on this path. You know, even though she wasn't a part of it after day one or two or, or whatever it may be, um, I was just so very thankful to be alive. So with start starting with that, I don't know how you can find anger or bitterness or or loneliness or even abandonment issues, which is so funny because, you know, I found myself in counseling in my 20s. Um, just to kind of, you know, like sift through a lot of stuff. I was obviously living in ex uh, a pretty extreme life and I didn't have too many people to talk to about it. Uh, and of course, like they find out I'm adopted. And the first thing a psychologist will do is go, oh, well, you have abandonment issues clearly because uh, uh, you're adopted. And I'm just like, whoa, 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 why do we have to start there? Just because that's where I like, I started doesn't mean that I'm going to have abandonment issues here. Um, now, you know, obviously you listen to the professionals that have read all the books and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I did push back a little bit and say, you, you got to understand though, I do find myself to be slightly different than the majority of people in the way that um, since I was very, very young, I've always been a very big picture person. My, uh, my family is very, uh, my, my parents are very educated on, um, on history and sciences, and they're very faith-based people. So the mixture of all that had me very much um, able at a very young age to zoom out, to kind of pop myself out of my own experience and think of the world as a whole. Um, billions upon billions upon billions of people who have lived and died on this planet. Uh, you know, there, there's probably people buried over here and look at this person did in 1800 at this stone mountain or, or you, you know what I'm saying? Like just a lot of things that gave me the capability to sort of zoom out a bit. And I know I'm finding the older I get, the rarer that actually is, even with adults, um, which is why I say, I, I try to say it a lot on the show and I know it comes off pretentious and I know it comes off super pompous and smug and whatever. But like a lot of times when people are kind of caught up in something, I'll be like, well, let's try to zoom out a little bit just because that's what I've been doing since I was a little kid. And um, I think that really helped me in the adoption thing. It, it, it allowed me to zoom out and go, holy crap, I'm not dead. 
I'm I'm here, dude. I'm like I'm rich. I'm rich. My parents are teachers. Um, I'm not hungry. I got Doritos over here. Like, dude, I'm freaking rich. Were they, name brand, also, were they name brand Doritos or were they? Heck Aldi? yeah, bro. Oh man, you're I living mean, the dream then. We didn't, we didn't get I'm that. Saying. We didn't get that in my house. Name brand. That's big time. And it's so yeah, I didn't interrupt you, but maybe my dad's got cable. I'm on a winning soccer team. Uh, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, and it all thanks to some teenager who gave me to the Missouri Baptist home. You know what I'm saying? Like, and and I didn't need to know anything else. I, I did not feel abandoned. I felt like uh, back to, to circle it up. And I'm sorry, I get long winded with this, but I don't get to talk about this all, all that often. Um, I felt very, uh, um, I felt a responsibility to God and to the universe and to whatever it was that put me in this amazing place that gave me a life that gave me health insurance. So I could go to the doctor when I needed to. And a mom that cared what my teeth look like. So she took me to the orthodontist. I felt a responsibility to do something with my life to make sure that it wasn't a waste. And that's where it paralleled with, uh, with um, Steve jobs. He said something about maybe not responsibility. Cause that's the word that I've always felt uh, describes it pretty accurately, but he, he was talking about how, um, or said something about how he felt sp- he felt like he was special and he had to do something about it. And um, I always had that as well. I, I did feel like, okay, well, I don't, I don't get a free pass on this planet. I will not get a free pass with this, um, with this life because I probably shouldn't be here. Um, you know, with the circumstances that, that put me here, there's a lot of different things, including, and I'll, and I'll share this. Um, ooh, you know what? Maybe I won't. I guess that's my, my parents' private. No, and that's that what you just said is just for me is just awesome to hear. It's just I I, we just like I said, we get so many negative. It's so great to hear such a positive story like yours and just that you were just so, you know, blessed. And now I know that, you know, in the adoption community, that's not the way we're supposed to look at it. Like they're blessing us. And but just it's just great to hear that that come from you and just how awesome that is. I don't, I'm not a professional interviewer. I just think that's just all I have to put it. It's just incredible. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's, um, that's all I got that. I mean, that's, that's my experience. And I don't know, I don't know. Uh, I don't know another way to really look at it because again, every little minute, every, every decision, everything. And here's how mine went too. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit different. Now they're all different. Actually. Uh, I have a cousin that's adopted and his scenario is completely different. They, uh, knew who the mother was, was at the hospital. She had given up multiple kids for adoption, but she had kept a few, um, very different. Mine was, uh, she, I learned all this, by the way, I did find my parents and I, I do have a, uh, I mean, I have a relationship with them. That's where I was headed next. You were just, you just jumped to the next question. I was just yeah. going to ask what it was like once you, you know, what was your first meeting like? And like, what kind of relationship do you have today? What, what kind of went through your mind? Um, so, well, I got to back up a little bit just because I had planned as a, as a young person and a young adult and a teenager, I had planned on when I turned 21, uh, calling the home and finding my parents. Now, I, I will be honest about this. I had no interest in my dad because I didn't know. I mean, there was nothing in the information about the guy, nothing uh, except for one thing. And I'll tell you that in a second. But the only thing I wanted to do um, 
was reach out to the home. And I wanted the home to reach out to her and say, Hey, this guy's 21 and he just wants to say, thank you. Um, if, uh, if you'll allow him. And if not, he just wants to let you know that all is well, it's all perfect. He's healthy. He's happy. He's alive. And he's very appreciative. That's all I wanted to do. It was more of a clearing of conscience. And the reason was because I became a father at 17 and I, and my, um, and her, it was my high school girlfriend who went to your school, the one that you teach at. And, uh, uh, we, we considered adoption, giving up our daughter for adoption. So I had, I've been adopted. I now have had a teen pregnancy and I've considered adoption. And my mom actually sat us down uh, at a dinner and told us her experience uh, because of adoption, because of the wonderful things that adoption brought her life. Um, So it really was on me then because we chose to keep my daughter and for you know, while I was 17, 18, 19, and 20, you know, I got a four-year-old and then I had my second daughter at like 19 or 20 or something ridiculous as well. Um, And knowing how much I loved my children and how much I actually learned who I was because my parents have a very, very different style than me. I'm a very like touchy-feely, loving, like discuss things and express my love and talk about love and and all this stuff. And my parents don't say I love you. Like they they don't. There's no um, there's no affection. There's no physical affection. That's their love languages on a natural sense are not mine at all. So I'm a perfect poster child for nature versus nurture, and they nurtured nurtured me amazingly. But I didn't actually even know about much of my nature until I became a father, which was a really amazing experience for me because I didn't know that I needed those things um, or that I was those things because they had never been tested or not given, you know what I'm saying, from from being raised. So I felt an immense uh, responsibility to at least reach out and and let this person know that the past 21 years, um, I don't resent her. Uh, I'm not upset with her, and I'm so very appreciative that she gave me the life uh, that she gave me and that she was able to pass me to such a a great start. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. So that was my motivation. I had no interest. I was not filling a void. I had no holes to fill. Uh, My heart was not empty. My parents weren't not, you know, weren't not good enough or something. Um, So I want to set that first uh, and make sure that everybody knows that I wasn't missing or looking for anything. Um, um, and I brought it up at a dinner with my parents about 20, about 20 or 21 that, Hey, I, I'm going to reach out. Could you give me a number? Um, and in the moment they were quiet. And shortly after uh, my mother was in tears uh, and it, it didn't hurt her. I think it just really frightened her. And, um, and I didn't want to see my mom like that. So uh, I, th- I, she, I don't think she was ready for it. And she actually said uh, that she just assumed that I would find them after the after they were dead. So we had never really had this conversation, I guess. I had never really vocalized it uh, through my teen years, what, what, what my plan was until this dinner. Um, but seeing my mom hurt like that, I decided against it. Uh, I, I said I could I could put it on hold. And you know what? I, I don't know what to do here. Um but I, I'm going to go ahead and 
press pause. Was that disappointing to you or were you just like, are you okay with it? Like, what was your emotion? Cause I'm sure you were ready to do it. Like, and I'm sure that was hard to see. I'm just trying to imagine that. Like, were you okay with that or was it kind of frustrating? Um, I mean, it was, it was frustrating just cause it like, you know, I had a plan in my head and then all of a sudden this wasn't my plan, but like, you know, my, my parents are the priority here. Right. I'm not, cause like I said, I'm not missing anything. Um, but I had a priority from this other woman that I wanted her to know that I didn't resent her. Now that was on the off chance that she even wanted to hear from me or any of that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? There's so much danger with that because you could be uprooting something. This person may have moved on with their life and never told anybody. And then all of a sudden somebody pops in and says, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm so-and-so's kid. That could completely disrupt a family. And I don't want any part of that. Right. Um, so I, I hit pause fairly easily, in fact, because my my mother was my priority. I love my mom, and I didn't want to see her hurting in any way. Um, so years pass, years and years pass, probably six, seven, eight years. And um, I had just kind of like tried to do my own research because remember, you know, you know where you're from, you know what your siblings or your parents look like, like. I never had an experience where anybody said, Hey, you look like your brother or, or what, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, right, Oh, right. I see your mama's eyes. Like I never had that. And, and f- for everybody that has, you kind of take it for granted, which I totally understand. Um, but I never had that. And I never, uh, I, I didn't know if I was, you know, I got this crazy curly hair. So am, am I from this region? Am I this, uh, uh, am I going to go bald? You know what I'm saying? Like, right. I don't know anything. And the more and more stuff that happens, the more and more doctors you come across to say, okay, any family history of this. And I had kidney stones a few times by this point. And, and, you know, I don't know how many times I had to answer the, the question by saying, oh, I'm adopted. I got nothing. Sorry. No history, you know, no health history. Right. Uh, That was kind of my question. I was going to ask you off like for medical history. I'm sure that had to start weighing on you as you got older a little bit, probably. Yeah, it did. I did have a few doctors say, well, hey, maybe you should try to find out some details about this, especially with all the kidney troubles uh, and 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 different things. Um, So, you know, I I I got that and it started weighing on me a bit more. Um, But you got to realize, like, you know, as a 27 year old or whatever it is, if you're my entire identity was based on unanswered questions, um, which is great. I mean, whatever. I mean, that that's who I was. Uh, and people said like, hey, man, are you Spanish? You know, because every World Cup, dude, I'll tell you, every World Cup that would come around, there's about three or four players. There's two, two Spanish ones, two French ones, and actually this Greek dude too. Uh, some of them are retired, but every World Cup that would come around, people text me and, or, or call me and be like, hey, man, did you know you look like Icar Casillas? Are you <laughs> Spanish? I'm like, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would get that all the time. And it was something that I really wanted to know. Did you ever uh, play games with people? You could have been like, man, I, you know, I, I'm, you could have been like what uh, the Baldwin, uh, one of the Baldwins, their husband, the, the, or her, his wife, didn't she pretend to be Spanish? You could have pretended to be Spanish. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 Hilaria. <laughs> Hilaria. 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 Yeah. 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 She doesn't, she pretend to be Spanish. You could have done that. That would have been awesome. You could have. Yeah. I think I'm I Greek, mean, guys. I think I'm Greek. Exactly. When people will be like, you're this, aren't you? I'm like, yep, I sure am. I mean, that's exactly what it was. And uh, that became a part of the fun. And, you know, that was my identity. So it wasn't strange or anything. Um, and then, uh, so I'll try to shorten the story a little bit, but I um, I was looking up certain things on different registries. By this point, the internet like had become pretty, uh, pretty easy to use. And I know that sounds silly, but like, 
um, pretty easy to use. There was a lot of different registries out there. This is like uh, 2008 or nine, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe 2010. And um, yeah, actually, you know what? It was 2010. So uh, there's more registries out there and I, I would, I would put in my information and the only information I have is city is location, birth date. And that's, I mean, that's pretty much it. Did the, did the uh, home not have that information for you? Oh, dude, I don't mean to slam them or nothing, but like they, uh, it's not their job to keep up with 27 year old adoptees. That's true, uh, and, I guess. You know what I'm saying? Like they right. got enough on their plate with the babies and all that kind of stuff. So to be fair, every time I would call, I was kind of a nuisance. Uh, and um, I wasn't calling to be a nuisance. I wasn't even calling to like, you know, get a number or any of that kind of stuff. I was just like, Hey, you know, this is my position. I would like to see, is there some easy way you can tell me something? Um, and the problem is this was 27 years later. So any information that they had was well out of date, any right. phone numbers or, or right. addresses. So at any time they try to contact, they even try to contact a grocery store that, that she used to work at or something. Um, you know, Did you have a name? Did you have a name, a first and a last name? Absolutely not. No. Oh, that, oh, you didn't have that. Wow. That's, I guess, no. what I was kind of wondering. You don't even have that. That's like nearly impossible, I would assume. Absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, I could have come from anywhere. I could have come from a different state and been dropped off on the way. I mean, I did not know. So uh, I reached out to them and didn't get anything. So I thought I'd probably find more on, on different internet registries and all that. Turns out um, I was in England on tour and I was uh, jet lagged and I couldn't go to sleep. So it was the middle of the night. So it was daytime for y'all, but it was, uh, it was night for me in, in London or Birmingham or wherever I was. And I was on this registry and I put in my birth date and uh, some general information. It was, it was actually like, hey, your adoptive parents occupation or something like that, you know, and both my parents were teachers. So put it in there. Um, I flew home, I think the next day. And when I hit the US, uh, I got an email. And the email said, um, hey, this is going to be strange, but I think I'm your sister. And uh, it said, if you, if you want to talk, call me. Um, and I responded with an email that just said, tell me about your parents or, or you know, t whatever it was. Um, but there's no way I was going to like engage, engage fully or give any information. Right. And you're, um, and you're, and you're like a, you're a rock star. I mean, you're a musician, you're a professor. That's, that could be anybody at that point, probably. Right. Is that what you're kind of thinking? Maybe. I don't remember thinking that, but yeah, it's probably, I mean, that's, that's probably a part of the reality for right. sure. It's like uh, the first thing I thought of like, Hey, I'm your sister. I'm, uh, but I'm like, you're a well-known person that anybody could, you know, that knows partially your story could say that. So I get that. That, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Especially because when people see you having great success in music, they assume that you're rich. Uh, all these people in college used to tell my brother like, hey, why doesn't your uh, brother just buy you a better car? And like, what? <laughs> I hear him on the radio all the time. He's got to be loaded. <laughs> not how it works, guys. Uh, sometimes it does, but not for me. Um, so I get this I get this email. And the first thing I think is, oh, my gosh, I got to talk to my parents. You know, I got to tell them like I'm on this registry thing or something. I don't know what's going to happen here. So I told my parents and my mom obviously took it very differently than she did seven years before, eight years before, whatever it was. Um, and, um, and I just told him like, Hey, I, I, again, I'm not filling any holes here. You guys know that I love you. I'm not, I don't need a mother or father here and that kind of stuff. I just need some information if, if it's possible. And I just want her to know that I'm alive and I don't hate her. That's it. Um, 
so I got more or less their blessing. Uh, and then I immediately, immediately called the home and said, guys, I got a name from this email. And if it rings a bell in any way, you need to call these people to stop this gal, whoever this gal is that says that she's my sister from getting this, you know, setting this grenade off in whatever family this is. Um, so like, Confirm or deny, please, please, because this is already, it's moving. There is a train moving and it's got to be stopped. Um, so that was my motivation. I was freaking out. I was like, I don't want this this lady, who, whoever emailed me, uh, doing anything. Before I could hear back from the home, because it was all these uh, phone tag messages, she uh, she sent over and said, um, I have a brother that was, that was given up for adoption in 1981 that was given to a religious um, – a religious organization and was eventually adopted months later uh, by two teachers in, in the St. Louis area. And I was like, Oh crap. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll take those boxes, but let's not get excited here. Right. Uh, right. And then, um, and then it says, my mom is so-and-so uh, you know, gave, gave her name and um, is convinced that it's you. Do you want to talk to her? And I said, tell your mom to uh, email me. You know, trying to get, I was trying right. to cut this, the younger person out of this right. uh, and, and have some direct contact. So I get an email and I kind of pass like really general information from, from my experience and, and try to see hers, uh, whatever information she has. She gives me, uh, she gives me a couple facts that I didn't know. Cause like I said, I didn't know anything, but a few other things that line up. Long story short, she ends up on AOL. A little AOL thing pops up. And, and it, uh, in 2010 on AOL still, huh? Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, it was 2009 or 10 or somewhere around there. My but dad still like, has an AOL account. I feel you. It's all right. Yeah, it was like an AOL email. So it popped up. So I like got the messenger just to see if she would be live. And she was live and started talking to me. And I just said, hey, um, I'm not going to get too excited here because I haven't heard back from the place with the information. But I am going to... Um, I'm going to ask you to like, do you want to talk? Because she was a horribly slow typer and it was so, so frustrating to me. So immediately she calls and dude, she's got my daughter's like raspy voice and like this whole thing all starts to make sense. And I was like, okay, let's not get excited here. Um, you know, when, when was it blah, 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 blah. And we get into it and we pretty much know that like, yeah, this is we're we're related. This is my mother and I'm her son. Um, so I'm like, well, we're not going to, we're not going to really do anything. Let's not talk again until we both talk to the home. You call the home, hound them as much as I'm hounding them. Let's figure this out. And then when she called the, the home lady called back and said, yes, that is your mother. Um, which was interesting because, uh, what had happened was she, and my, my biological father, in fact, had been searching for me since I was 15, uh, and one of the reasons that we never cross paths online or anything is because uh, they still believe that my birthday was a different date. Um, so anytime on these registries I put in March 20th, they were putting in a different date and we would never sync up. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. So it was so happened just totally. Do you actually know your date? I know on the, the radio show, you do you actually know your physical birth date? I mean, no, because I don't really, there's no like, I don't have a birth certificate. I have a okay. credit card um, that, that, uh, my dad, uh, you know, I got charged on discover. I think it was discover, maybe mastercard. Um, but so I have that, that's like my birth certificate is my, yeah, but so the, the day you were born, you have a, a credit card receipt. Is that, is that basically, that's hilarious. If that's, 
Well, it's not the day that I was born. So I, I have like a, a legal birth certificate that has my birthday on it. But okay. if you ask my biological mom, she swears up and down that that's not the right date. Okay. 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 I see what you're saying now. I got you. That's um, what I was, I was trying but, to understand that. Yeah. So, so just to sort of like connect some of the dots here, the reason I was in foster care and went through two different foster homes was um, my mom, it turns out uh, my mom, my biological mom was pregnant and hid it from everybody. She was pregnant throughout the winter, wore big, big sweatshirts and was in high school. She finished high school like that uh, pregnant and only her and her best friend knew. Um, she thought she was going into labor. She never took vitamins. She didn't do anything. And, you know, like no preparation, hid it from her parents, hid it from her friends, didn't go anywhere uh, and broke up with her boyfriend, who was my father, uh, because he was, t- he was smoking too much weed <laughs> at the, uh, in, in high school. She was like, didn't want that. And he wanted to join the air force and she didn't want him to. So they broke up. Then way later, she finds out she's pregnant, like months in, you know, three, four months in. And, uh, and hides it, isn't sure what she's going to do, figures she has time. And then, of course, eight, nine months rolls around and uh, she goes into labor. She calls the one best friend that knows. They, drew to, they drove to the only hospital they knew, which was downtown in St. Louis. It's not there anymore. And, uh, and I was born. And as I was being born, the doctor said, um, this isn't OK. You call your father right now or I am. And she called her father and the my biological grandpa came up and said, get this kid out of here. Um, so it was a couple different things. I was, uh, I was offered up to some people in the family cause they wanted to take me to keep me in the family. But my, but my biological mom said, um, absolutely not. Like I can't have somebody else raise him and watch it and not, and not be a part of it. Yeah. Uh, that, that would, I, the minute you said that, I was like, I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. Right. 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 That for you. And then, you know, you, you having to see that's my mom but I'm being raised by my grandma. That's that, yeah. Wow. That's yeah. So a couple, a couple days goes by and they figure out the adoption process and she decides that that's what she's going to do. Um, and uh, the doctor get this, the doctor says, and I find this interesting, but the doctor says, um, if you don't put a father on the birth certificate, you can, you can get this kid adopted right away. And she said, but I know who the father was. And, and, she, and he and the doctor said, yeah, yeah, just, but but put unknown. If you put unknown, nobody has to sign the rights over there. There's no there's no legal legalities, no hoops to jump through. It's much easier. And she said that she absolutely could not do that, and that she was going to call him right then and he and, and tell him that he is on the birth certificate for this child that's being put up for adoption. So she did the right thing. The absolute most difficult thing, staring in the face of absolute hell, and I can't imagine what she went through. Um, which leads me to feel so much better about this whole process and, and actually finding her and being able to thank her and have a relationship and talk to her. Uh, because I've been there, man. I've been there. The teen pregnancy thing, the teen birth, the overwhelming. And I can't imagine if somebody's breathing down my throat saying, get rid of this kid and don't mark a father. Um, so she refused and she, she put my biological father's name down. So of course I had to call him. Now, by this point he was in the air force or had moved on and he was in a different state. Uh, he, and he was engaged by this point to, uh, to be married. And he wanted, when he find out, he, he tried to figure it out. And he and his fiance at the time decided that they would, they would have me. 
And uh, my biological mother said, absolutely not. Like, no, like, no, the best thing for this kid is to to be given up for adoption and she's going to hold hold firm. So I was put in foster care because I was in limbo because my father refused to sign over the rights, um, which I totally understand. Totally get it. Um, So he was going through that for a, a matter of months trying to figure out you know, what it is he could or, or, or should be doing, uh, in this, in this scenario. And they, they were, uh, you know, they, 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 they spoke, it wasn't like a bad sort of thing. Um, and I was in foster care. I went through a couple different, uh, a couple different homes, um, wonderful homes from what I'm told. I was only five months old and, uh, I was adopted on, um, on August 14th. And, uh, that was my gotcha day as my parents like to call it, like we like to celebrate. And, uh, and I was chunky as all get out. So there's no baby pictures of me because no photos were ever taken until I was five months old. But dude, I look like I'm one. I mean, I look huge. I was so well ch- fed, well take, well loved. And yes, well- I was. <laughs> yes, I was. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Uh, it was amazing finding my 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 birth parents. And like I said. Um, it was never my intention to find my father, but I'm very glad that I did it uh, because I, I just thought that that would be like two enormous hoops with so much opportunity for tr- for tragedy or sadness or something bad, you know, some sort of hiccup. Um, and I didn't want to disrupt anybody's lives. Uh, now, I found out that everyone in my mom's family knew about me, uh, even her kids. And guys, I got I, I got to say, like everybody in the chat and anybody that's listening, um, what a ridiculously impossible to explain experience it was because like I said, I've never seen anybody that looks like me. Um, I mean, of course, you know, you see your doppelganger in, on, on, in the world cup or something like that, but right, like right. You know, people tell you, Oh, you look like so-and-so, but I never actually like got to see it and have it confirmed that, yeah, that we share genes. That's freaking weird. Um, it's freaking weird to me. It's not, it's not weird to y'all, but it's really weird to me. Um, and in an instant, we met at Outback Steakhouse, actually. Uh, just Having because, a blooming you know, onion, right? Having a blooming yeah, onion. Yeah, exactly. I'm pretty sure we did. Uh, because, you know, we wanted to kind of like a neutral site. We didn't want somebody feeling like trapped or awkward in a home or any of that kind of stuff. So we uh, we met at a neutral site for dinner. That way it's somewhat time limited, you know. Um, but I got to tell you, it's impossible to understand your identity, yourself, uh, all that makes you you, your history book, everything uh, being uh, I mean, a treasure trove of unanswered questions. And then in an hour, all those questions are answered. Um, and you're sitting across the table having all these questions answered by three people that look that look like you. Now, was, uh, was it your was it your biological mom? Your bio, was your biological dad and your sister? Were those the three people there? No. So my it was my biological mom, her husband, who's a wonderful man, uh, um, her her two kids from her first marriage, which are my half siblings and then her stepkids. Okay. So I got two stepkids, uh, and, and the, my, my biological mom, her husband and my, my siblings, my brother and my sister, um, who very much look like me, uh, in totally different ways, but like, it was awesome. It was, it was, it was really cool. Uh, but I will say it's really strange to hear my voice in a, in a, in a woman that's 18 years older than me. Cause it is, she's got, we sound the same. Um, and, and it's really bizarre to sit down before an appetizer and leave after the, leave after the dessert with a completely different understanding of who you are. 
did you um, what was that was that moment was like were you scared were you nervous like what was your feeling when you when you first saw her um i don't know i don't even know i don't know if there's a word for it um i think it is i mean i i think one of the faults of the english language is we we don't have uh all these nuanced words and and nervous and frightened and excited and exhilarated and confused uh, but also worried about my parents. I was worried about my mom and how she was going to handle any of this kind of stuff. And, uh, and, you know, and that's been a, that's been a process. Um, but the lovely thing for me was that all of my fears of disrupting other people's families or any of that kind of stuff. Um, thankfully, none of that happened. My biological father, I was able to meet at her house, actually, like both families got together. He came down from Iowa and, uh, and got together in her backyard and, uh, and there's cousins and aunts and everybody wants to come to that kind of crap. And that was a bit much for me. Um, you, you know, cause some lady is like, I'm your aunt and was talking to me like, I don't know you, man. And honestly, I kind of have an aversion to strangers. Uh, you know what I mean? Like you probably wanted uh, a Moondini, I'm right? Not... <laughs> Did you want a Moondini out Dude, of it? Yeah. But like, <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I like it very tight and personal and 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 intimate with everything. Yeah, I really do. I'm, I'm just not. I'm, I'm, I'm 50 family members over 500 strangers. You know what I'm saying? Like that. That's my my uh, my approach. And and I'm very well practiced at communication and like, um, you know, speaking with people. But I'm not that guy naturally. Uh, that's something I had to learn just to be a part of this world and function. Um. So that was really overwhelming for me. But again, I was just so happy that uh, it all worked out picture picture perfect. There wasn't any like super drawbacks or bad drama or I didn't I didn't disrupt anybody. So I was so fortunate, man. I feel like I like blindfolded through a dart and hit a bullseye um, and got really lucky. Just super fortunate, blessed, whatever you want to say it. It worked out like that for me. Um but when people say like, would you encourage me to find your parents or find my parents? I don't know what to say because again, it could potentially be not great for these other people. Sometimes, right. sometimes it's a really difficult thing. Um, so it's so case by case. And that's why there's not a rule book for this, you know, and I've had that discussion with even family members. I remember because, um, a after, after getting in close with, with, with them or, or like learning everything, they really wanted me to be a part of the family. And I don't want that. I'm like, I'm not ready for that because I didn't need a family and you guys didn't need me. I have a family, um, which ultimately became the only worry for my adoptive mom. My mom, the only thing she really worried about after she realized that it was good that I found out my health history and, and I can talk that stuff out if something happens, um, after she realized all the benefit, the only thing she ever worried about is like, I just don't want to lose any minutes at Christmas um, with you and my grandchildren to the, to another family. You, you know you know what I'm saying? Which is maybe it's a little bit selfish, no, but I, I totally that. understand it. And I will abide by that rule. I mean, it's hard when families get married. Like I remember when my mom really struggled when I got married and I wasn't there for the first Christmas. I can only imagine, Hey, I'm going to go see my biological mom uh, this right. Christmas. I, I, yeah. Is that, that was kind of my next question. How, how did you work with your parents, your 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 uh, your adopted parents? How did how did that relationship kind of evolve while meeting your biological parents? Um, 
my dad is a very, very strangely dry man. Uh, I mean, very, very dry. He comes off. Uh, I mean, <laughs> he, he, he can come off extremely cold, uh, but he's not cold. He's just dry. And I asked him and he said, I don't care. It, it was just a, a like, I don't care. Do what you want, son. It's just always a do what you want. Like, doesn't affect me none. Um, my mother, like I said, is uh, I am my mother's favorite. And that's okay to say because my brother is my dad's favorite. And that's been like a known thing for quite some time. <laughs> so I am my mother's favorite. And I, and I know that. Um, and I know that it's like, it's always, I've always felt it's, it's my responsibility to take care of my mother. Uh, no matter what happens, whether my dad's here or not, like my, my mom, I will always take care of my mother uh, physically, emotionally, whatever. Um, and I just wanted to make sure that she knew that again, even with now having them here and all that, they are not here to fill any holes. I will get nothing from them um, that I could ever get from, from my mother or for, from this relationship. Um, and, uh, and I think that had to be proven. It really, it couldn't just be stated. It had to be proven. Um, and those first couple of years, anytime that we would see them, you know, uh, every couple of months, my mom would say, well, have you, have you seen them recently? And if it was like for Thanksgiving or something, and she ever found out that I went somewhere instead of visiting them on a holiday or something that would greatly damage my mother. And I never would do that. Uh, and once she realized that that was the case that I would, you know, hold to these barriers, um, it, it was fine. And, and we've had interesting conversations about it. Uh, it turns out my mother actually had some correspondence with my biological mom um, when, until I was about uh, 10 years old. Every, every couple of years, my biological mom would write a letter and it goes to the home. The homes, you know, make sure that there's no identifying marks or any of that kind of stuff. And then uh, the letter would be passed on. And it was usually like, uh, you know, is everything okay? Is he healthy? Is he in the soccer? You know, whatever it was. Um, and I guess something happened that my biological mother had, had, had said in a note and it was just a bit too much for my mom and my mom stopped communicating. Um, so that was the last, uh, I, I haven't talked to my bio mom about discussing this kind of stuff. So I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to go on with yeah, like completely. how she felt. No, no. It's just, I was looking at for more of an adoptive being an adoptive dad, hopefully sooner than later. Kind of, yeah, for I'm, sure. I'm imagining that like, mm -hmm. and obviously it'd be a little different since my, we'd have to travel an ocean, but still that, that, that was just in really an insight that I never thought about before. All right, I'm going to pivot you here a minute. I'm going to get to the last part of the interview. How has being adopted? And I'm going to give you general, cause you're so good. I'm just going to give you the general question. How has being adopted affect you? as a dad? I don't, I don't know. I know that my children are very interested in it. They're very like, you know, that they, they have not met um, their biological grandma yet, but they have met uh, my bio biological dad. He was in town and swung by and, and a couple of the kids were here and they were able to see um, my biological sister and their cousin and all that. And it was like, it was real for them finally. So this like mythical story, this mythical origin story from dad um, had some like, t you know, a tangible effect in front of them. And and uh, and that was really unique 
and and cool to kind of sift through over the past year or two because that wasn't all that long ago and they do ask frequently hey when can we meet your your biological mom and i don't mean like weekly but you know it, it's fairly frequent considering uh you know con considering the timeline in, in which this stuff happens um I would say how it affects me as a dad, I, I probably couldn't put my finger on that, although I'm sure it would be drastically different if I had more of a traditional story. But because I was a father, you know, pregnant at 16 and, and a father at 17, I have been a parent for more than half of my life. So I've been a parent since I was a child. I never had an adulthood where I was my first priority. I never had an adulthood where I was the first person that I had to feed. Um, you know what I'm saying? And I don't mean to sound yeah. like, you know, like some hero crap or, or, or dramatic or something, but I, I'm not even saying it because I know the comparison. I can compare the two. I can't, I don't know my life as not a parent. Right. Um, so I'm not a hundred percent sure what the difference would be had I had more of a traditional story and had kids in my thirties, uh, for the first time. Um, or, you know, late 20s or, or whatever it may right. be uh, as an adult and um, choosing to do so, obviously. Uh, I did not choose to become a 16-year-old father or 17-year-old father. I mean, that that um, alone probably has, a you know, being adopted and then being such a young dad is probably just totally shaped your 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 fatherhood. You're being, you're being like that story, just being adopted, then being a dad at 16, those are just two things that really have probably totally influenced your thought process and how you raise your children in incredible ways. We don't even probably realize, I would assume, in some capacity. Yeah, the 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 weird, the only weird thing that I can really compare is that uh, my my dad and I we didn't talk for like five years. We had a horrible relationship for for quite some time there, a really really difficult um, time uh, in in my life and and maybe his life as well. But. Uh, as much as I love and appreciate my parents on a, on a, on a, on a daily basis and a very conscious effort um, to do so and appreciate my parents for who they are, which I think is the story is the human story. You know, the, the longer that we live, the more we at least understand our parents, if not respect our parents and maybe even love our parents more. Um, I'm adopted. And I feel that way. I feel that way about my, about my, my mom and my dad who raised me, who love me and uh, who have given me everything that they can and that they feel necessary and important. And I, I hope I have such a different relationship with all of my children. Like my, my, my oldest daughter, she's married. She's been married for over a year and I'm closer with her right now than I've ever been in my life. Uh, and I can see her like loving and respecting and appreciating me more. And it's like the greatest gift ever because my second daughter, I don't even know if she likes me. Um, it, you know, and I, and I mean that in like a very like real way and, and it does bum me out to even say that, but also in a very normal way, because that's what, you know, teenagers and 20 year olds are supposed to feel towards right. the parents. You right? don't like, know what you're talking about till you're 25 probably or 30, maybe even 30. Right. But even knowing all those cliches are happening and all that kind of stuff at the same time, I still very much worry about it. And I really worry like, Hey man, are they, are they like, do they know me? Um, are they going to love me? Are they going to take care of me if I ever make it to elderly years? Uh, you know, like just the general stuff that, I, that every dad, every mom thinks about. And I think like, man, I sure hope so. I sure hope it comes pretty naturally because my situation is totally different. And I've never second guessed that. 
I've never second guessed that. You know, you know what I mean? Right. Because I know that well, with all the failures and I could go on for months and months and never and never take a breath with all the ways that my parents failed me. But man, all the amazing things that they did for me and the ways that they love me far, far outreach any complaint I could ever have or anything I ever missed ever. Right. And and, um, you know, I just I just really hope, man, I hope and I pray that like. Uh, my, my kids really, uh, you know, come around to, to, to that. And I assume that they will. And I assume that this is, this is not a, an abnormal fear. Uh, I'm assuming this is the same. Oh, you're, hey, you, Moon, I'm telling you right now, it's like, it's like, I feel like I'm talking to myself. And I think a lot of dads that listen to this or just guys in general will feel that way. And I think it's always that, that fear of failure and, and just being a dad, like it, I, I have a sixth grader, and, and I'm, and he's cooler to talk to, but I'm like, man, he's, he's got his phone now. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. You know, and I can't protect <laughs> him. You can't protect him anymore. Um, and, and I've made, you're preaching. I love, I love just listening to you talk. Cause I'm like, all right, cool. I'm not the only dad out there. And that's kind of the reason I started the podcast because we, as guys have all these fears that we don't usually talk about in all this, unless it's on like, this is us. And then it's totally too much drama for me. Yeah. In uh, <laughs> that aspect. Yeah. It, it, and so, all right, I'm going to, I've taken a lot of your time. I'm going to wrap up or kind of the wrap up, what I call like uh, overtime questions here. What's your favorite thing to do with your, if you have an afternoon, what's your favorite thing to do with your children or your family? Um, my, my, honestly, my favorite things to do with these kiddos is um, always something active, usually outdoors. And, and this is going to, this is going to shine a light on uh, my dad, the science teacher, uh, my dad and the nerd that I am is I always want it to be like a learning experience. You know what I'm saying? Like I want it to be like, right. uh, I, I know, I, I know it comes off annoying and I, God, dude, my, my brother and I hated it about my father, hated it. Like nothing could just be fun. It always had to be like factual. And, you know, we would go to these national parks and he would, before we take a hike, he's going to like talk to us. And I do that same crap. Now I feel like I got a bit more entertainer in me because, um, in my teen years, like all the jobs that I did always were with kids. I was a camp counselor. I was a camp director. I ran all the camps for Kirkwood and, and Manchester. And I was a school bus driver. I worked at the Latchkey program programs. I worked for the Y. I worked for the Parkway District. Like um, I, I like educating as an entertainer. I was such a goofball with those kids because they made me feel comfortable. And I just wanted to like make them feel comfortable. You know what I'm saying? So with my kids, I try to be an educator and an entertainer. And that's where I really, um, that's where I really want to be as, as a dad is like, I want to be the fun dad. I want to be the cool dad, but I want to be the dad that when I'm dead and gone, like, you know, so much crap because of whatever I drilled into you. You, you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. And I, I totally completely get that. We took a hike in Branson in December. And I said, Oh, let's pick up this packet to look at this house that used to sit here in 1895. And my, my third grader knew when world war one started, his teacher was blown away. I, I completely understand that. My That's dream, awesome. my dream vacation is to travel the Oregon trail. That's I love the, my, my wife has told me no numerous times, but uh, <laughs> to travel. Yeah. The see that that's the kind of stuff that we love. And, and thankfully, I mean, my wife is like my perfect match. And we talk about how like, like it's beyond like soulmates, like we're a match because we're, we're after the same things. And, and I think what my dad did and he never, he never vocalized it in this way, but I, I hope that I can, maybe this articulates it in, in, in the way 
um, that I'm trying to say it. It's not that I'm trying to educate them. I'm not trying to make them the smartest kid that they know or, or make them good at trivia or any of that kind of stuff. What I'm really trying to do is I'm trying to prepare these human beings to be people that absorb every single bit of this planet and, and are truly prepared to absorb every angle of it, to think about it in multiple, in, in multiple facets. Um, and, I, and I mean that from like, uh, from a class about geology or f philosophy or math, whatever it is, to absorb it the exact same way that they would after a two mile hike standing on a cliff, looking out at the mountains. I want you, I want to prepare them as human beings to be able to absorb all that this beautiful, beautiful world has to offer. And that's from nature, um, you know, the beauty and the majesty of nature to the amazing um, challenges that people can be or that other mindsets or theologies or religions or, or even political uh, views. Um, I, I want my kids to be absorbers uh, and, and to not be able and, and, and to be able to not lose that because I think that's something that's so very common. And I think one of the benefits of me having a bit of arrested development, because I do think I have had a pretty intense arrested development in the sense that when I became a parent at 17, like everything had to click and I had to be a legitimate father and head of household and all this stuff. Um, but a lot of me stayed like 17, like just like a dorky, I don't care what you think, Ooh, goofy, like I'm just a goofy dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think I've actually right. really benefited from that. Um, and it's allowed me to be that like guy that just like gets I wonder and awe out of out of random things. Well, and and I'm think surrounded it, by people that I feel are losing that edge. And it makes things more exciting. Like I, I'm always, uh, I went to visit my aunt one time and she's always, so you have to pose for every picture. And maybe we don't pose for every picture, but when we take a hike on the Katy Trail, I'm like, look at this tree. Look how this looks like a gun or whatever, or whatever the case is. I think it makes life more exciting. So I, I like the way you put that. All right. So the last question here, I asked this question to everybody. If you had a billboard and you were trying to help out adaptive or foster dads, or what would you tell them? Like, what advice would you give them like in a billboard form? Oh my goodness. That's a, that's a really deep and, and good question. Um, or, or for you could say adoptees, maybe even if you want to talk about like adoptees, like what advice would you give them since you're an adoptee? Honestly, man, in, in some way you would have to craft it in a way that, that, uh, that just expressed that it, as cheesy as it sounds, is that it's just all about love, man. It, it really is. I know that sounds so dumb and hippie and easy answer, but it really is the deepest answer I can give because, you know, the, what is it? The Greeks have like three or five different words for, right. for right. love. And, and whether you're the adoptee or the adopter or the person that's giving up a, a, a child for adoption, man, it really does come down to love, which is, which is an action. Um, you know, it's, it's a verb. It's, it's extremely difficult sometimes, but it, it truly is the route uh, to appreciate um, who you are, what someone has done for you and what you can do for this person, whether it be your adoptive parents or your adoptive child. You, you know, you know, you know, I, I completely you? understand it. It's, I, I just, I'm going to use it. I'm going to cheese it. I love the way you said that because that really, it, 
really is that because when it comes down to it, my daughter, you know, I love her just as much as I would love my biological son. And I think that's what it comes down to. And I know a lot of guys are nervous, you know, adopting, you know, just that because there can I love a child that wasn't, you know, biologically mine. And I think, oh, yeah. the, and I think the way you put that is that that's a fear. A lot of dads, and there's like, there's kind of this idea that dads are the ones that are dragging their feet to adoption. I don't think that's always true. I think a lot of times, you know, they just don't know how to express themselves. They're nervous about that. And I just, the way you put that, even though it's corny as it sounds, it really is. I think if you can love a child, I think you could be a parent. Well, you know, in some capacity, I shouldn't say it's pretty broad, but. Uh, yeah, dude, I know what you're saying. And and it really is. I mean, it's it can be a delicate situation because, you know, we you're going to probably speak some different love languages and the nature versus nurture, something that's going to have to be on your mind far more than than a biological parent. But my mom has said it a hundred times and she says it the best. Uh, and I, I wish you were here right now uh, to tell you because she had that fear, which is a very normal human static fear that I think all of us would have where you're like, am I going to love this child? Am I going to love this child as I want to, as I should, as one of my other children, or am I going to love this child in general? And my mom will fully admit she told the doctor over and over and the, 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 the people she was dealing with to get me, because they went through the process for years. It took them years to get me. Um, and she said, what if I don't love this kid? And she even said on, on the way to get me, she was saying, what, what, what if I don't, what, what if I can't love this baby? What if there's something? And uh, the guy kept telling her, give it one second. I give you one second with this kid. And, um, and she said, it, it didn't even take that. I mean, she said she forgot her entire world. She forgot everything and she held me and I was hers. And that was it. There was no like, there was no growing pains. There was no process. There was nothing. She held me. She, I was handed over and I was hers. That's that easy. Beautiful. That's just, man, that story for anybody that's considered adoption. That's that you, that's why you're a great wordsmith. And that's why uh, you're so successful what you do. Uh, Moon, I, I, I personally cannot tell you how impactful this has been for me. And I'm sure taking the time, I know you're really busy. I know you have a lot of socials. Do you want to plug those? I know you have Instagram and Twitter and Twitcher, obviously. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, yeah. Uh, Twitch, Instagram, Twitter, all that. It's all Moon Valjean here. Um, and uh, turns out, by the way, that I have a lot of French in my in my blood, which is why my pseudonym is Valjean, because it's a, a little nod to Les Mis and, uh, and French heritage. Um, so, yes, I am French. Ho, ho, ho. I just can't cook as well as I should. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, man, thank you. Thank you so much for for having me on again. Um, I get asked to do a lot of stuff that's music based and all that. And that can only go so far and be so interesting. But I think this is such a important conversation and the conversations that you're having um, with, with different people to kind of bring a light to this, uh, this, um, this topic, I think is super important. So I, um, I am honored to be given the chance uh, to discuss any of this kind of stuff. Well, when I emailed you, I didn't think you'd say yes. I was like, well, I'm going to give it a shot. I mean, he's a big timer and he's, you know, and I say you're very busy. And I, I mean, it's an incredible just to sit and talk with you, just how successful you are and how just, it just shows that a loving home can really, what, what a loving adoptive home can do. And I think yeah. you're proof of that. And it's just, I mean, you got to sing with Garth Brooks. I mean, how many people can sing? Yeah, say I did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I mean, and you've toured. Have you been, okay, got to ask you, have you ever been to Seoul before? Uh, yeah, I've been to Seoul many times. Right. Um, well, that's where we're headed at some point, hopefully, to get my daughter. And I, I, any any advice before I leave the podcast? Yes. 
Seoul is freaking beautiful. Seoul is cool. Uh, the South Korean people are so awesome. They're so friendly. Uh, they're so open to help. Um, it's a beautiful place, man. It's and, and Seoul, in fact, uh, all the little neighborhoods around it, because we've stayed in a few different ones. We stayed in uh, in uh, Incheon and uh, and a couple of the places that are close to there. Um, really cool, and they're 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 being built up. Uh, the the towns there and. You can just tell, man. There's a there's a lot going on. It's a bustling place. It's so weird that it's so very close to you know where. Um, but man, it's it's wonderful. South Korea is so freaking cool. I actually uh, I can't I can't wait to go back. I think I've been um, three or four different times, and some of the most memorable shows I've ever played are in Seoul or in Incheon. You know, right outside of Seoul. Right. Uh, the last time I was there was for a festival um, that we were told that we were going to be playing uh, an okay size stage uh, and that Skid Row was, was playing as well. We're like, whoa, cool. This is going to be great. Um, but there wasn't that many bands on the bill. So usually a festival, if it's going to be sizable, have a lot of people as multiple stages, whatever we show up. It was maybe one of the biggest stages I've ever played on in my entire life. And um, Skid Row played right after us. There was 50,000 people. There was drone cameras. This was before like drone cameras were like so easy to get. There was drone cameras flying all over right by us on stage, like buzzing by our heads. It was one of the most amazing shows I've ever played in my life. And it was right there in South Korea. Awesome. So I, I know I'm I've am i already been reading and looking in and uh, I, I am going to take a trip to the DMZ. Uh, and sometimes they'll let you in that special room where they, you allegedly. Yeah, woo. Be careful, buddy. I don't know. I wouldn't miss that. It's that's I, cool. I, we'll see. But I, again, I, I I thank you so much, and this is huge. And and uh, I cannot just you're just being open, and it was great to have. You're the first adoptee I've had on it. It's so great to hear a different perspective, uh, the other side uh, of the aisle. So I appreciate it, and thank you so much. And thank you everybody for listening to the uh, playbook. And I want to give us another special thanks to our guest Moon Valjean. Thanks again, Moon. Thank you, Dave. What an absolutely incredible episode. I was blown away by Moon's openness and just wanting to share. My favorite line was, I didn't know it was a sick burn to be adopted. I love that, his openness and how it's shaped him. He's done awesome for himself. My son's favorite song is On Top of the World that they sing for Big Hero 6. And I told him that story off the air and he loved it. Thank you guys for listening so much. I know it's a long episode. Please come back and give it a listen. Listen to previous episodes. I really cannot thank everybody for all the support that we've been getting for the podcast. If you like the artwork that was done by Sarah Morris, her email address is down below. If you like the intro and the closing, that was done by Mike Duran, and his website is below as well. Again, thank you so much. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you have any questions or any comments, please email me. Have a great week, guys. Thanks for listening to the Adoptive Dad Playbook. Be sure to follow us on social media.